Hello, I'm Carol Talbot, the creator and founder of The Possibility Hub, taking you beyond the boundaries of who you believe yourself to be and opening up to new possibilities. What gives me a buzz is to make people think and feel differently, to experience the world differently. I love learning, and as a seeker and explorer, I've traveled far and wide, spending over 30 years studying with many wonderful teachers and masters, learning to utilize many different tools, many different techniques to create rapid shifts. I'm the author of You, the Divine Genius, and my passion, my desire, is to create opportunities for an expansion of awareness and consciousness, to allow you to step into a fuller focus of who you really are. This podcast is an advocate for awakening, encouragement, and supporting the development of your superhuman abilities. Just imagine how your life would change if you lived in an open state of awareness where anything is possible. Have you ever had an itis? What on earth is an itis, Carol, you may be asking? Well, I mean things like jealousitis, angryitis, the am I good enough-itis, judgment-itis, poor me-itis, and the list goes on. Do any of these sound familiar? Well, these are all feelings and issues that arise within all of us at some time or other, yet they're never mentioned. We keep quiet, because if we do admit to any of these itises, it might make us appear to be horrible people, right? Yet we do have this shadow side, and within this shadow side lies a very powerful opportunity for growth, a deeper level of self-awareness and an appreciation for all that you truly are. So let's dive right in and find out how you can open the door to new possibilities. In the book, The Disappearance of the Universe by Gary Renard, He suggests that there's nothing outside of you. It's all you. And of course, from the quantum perspective, you can't prove anything exists outside of yourself, outside of your own mind. You cannot actually experience anything that's outside of your nervous system. So your internal representation is the reality in which you live. Now, it's not really what's going on outside You can't experience anything without it first being filtered by your nervous system. So, if there really is nothing outside of you, then your perceived reality is a reflection of, guess who? You. Now, most people don't see the correlation between their outer world and inner world because we live in a time-space reality whereby it appears that time, the past, present and future, happen in a linear way. So that means there's a time delay between having a thought or a series of similar thoughts and then those thoughts materialising in your outer world. 
Now, that can be frustrating when you really want something badly or if you tend to be impatient, a quality I'm still learning. And can you imagine if you had a thought and it materialized instantly? If you think about a new car, bing, there it is right in front of you. Fantastic. The relationship you've always dreamt of, boof, right here, right now. You feel like some chocolate. It magically appears. Now, that may sound wonderful. And just consider how many thoughts race through your mind. Honestly, where would you put everything? And then, what about all the not-so-nice thoughts? Hmm, not so great then. Living in this world of duality... We tend to label thoughts, emotions, feelings and experiences as good, bad, positive or negative. For example, happy, joyful, excited are labelled as good, positive emotions. And sad, angry, guilt, they're labelled as negative or bad. When actually, sadness can lead to great introspection, to look within and learn more about yourself. Anger could lead to great leadership, and it depends how you choose to perceive the emotion, in what way it triggers you, and more importantly, how you choose to express it. So going back to these itises, whether it's jealousitis, angryitis, the am I good enough itis, judgmentitis, poor me itis, these are all triggered by someone or something external. So when you do get triggered, it means it's always easy to blame others. And remember here, the degree to which you're blaming others is the degree to which you're giving away your own power, as well as your ability to learn, to grow and to expand. Once you decide to take a look at each experience where you feel triggered, you have the opportunity for growth and a deeper understanding of yourself. So what are these triggers and how are they created? And more importantly, what can you do about them? Perhaps you've had the experience where when somebody looks at you in a particular way, you feel nervous. Or maybe it's a particular song or the way someone speaks that triggers you. Perhaps it's what another person is doing or not doing that pushes your anger button. Or maybe your partner seems a little too interested in other people that brings your jealousy demon up. Remember, what we perceive in others is a reflection of ourselves. And what triggers us is also a reflection to take a deeper look within. So here's a simple example. I often hear people say to me, You know, I give and I give and I give, and all she does is take, 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 take. How is that a reflection of me? I'm not a taker. Well, let's just dive a little deeper into that. Ask yourself, if you perceive and label her as a taker, what does that mean she's good at? Think about it. If you're good at taking, it means you're good at receiving, right? Now reflect that back to yourself. Are you good at receiving? Now I'm going to put my hand up and share an experience that happened to me a few years back. 
because there have been times when I've been an overgiver. And if I let the demon out, well, deep down, I probably wanted something back in return, although I never would have said or admitted that. I'd just silently be disappointed or resentful. Anyway, a few years back, I had a, a physical challenge. My psoas muscle on the right side went into spasm, and I found myself in excruciating pain and, and literally bent double. I, I couldn't stand up straight. And this actually lasted for a couple of months. Being very independent, it was a very humbling experience to have to ask for help with things like the shopping. And then one of my cats was unwell and needed to go to the vets. Some of my business obligations were falling by the wayside. And you know what? My friends rallied round beautifully. Yet I recall feeling really uncomfortable being so helpless, receiving, being cared for, instead of being the one who did the caring. It felt very alien to me. Now, did my friends think less of me? Well, it, it seems not. So back to my point. What you see in other people, in other situations and experiences, is a reflection of yourself which is all good and well when you can simply be the observer. And as I mentioned, when you get triggered, then there's something for you to learn. And by the way, parents, siblings, relatives, they all seem to be particularly good at pressing those buttons, pressing those triggers, just when you thought you got it all figured out. Now, these triggers are the conditioned responses that get hardwired into your nervous system. Conditioned response is not new. It dates back to 1902 when an American doctor, Dr. Edwin B. Twitmeyer, submitted a paper to the American Medical Association called Stimulus Response, and it outlined the hammer-to-knee reflex. Now, you probably know that when someone taps you gently on the knee, then you get a knee reflex action where your leg kicks up in the air, Right? And what Dr. Twitmar discovered was that when he went to tap someone on the knee, even if he didn't actually touch them on the knee, he would still see the knee-jerk reflex action. In other words, there was an expectation which created a response. And this is what he wrote about and published. Now, the American Medical Association was not very interested, and they failed to see its relevance and value at that time. Dr. Twitmar's paper was picked up by a Russian called Ivan Pavlov, who thought there was something interesting in it, and he started experimenting initially with dogs. What he would do is he'd put some steak or meat in front of them, and when the dogs started salivating, he would ring a bell. And he would do this again and again and again, put some meat in front of the dogs, and again, when they started salivating, he'd ring a bell. Now, he did this so many times that he found that just ringing the bell would make the dog salivate, even though there was no meat there. And in his research, he associated the sound of a bell to when the dogs were hungry and would salivate. And in 1936, after years of research with dogs, he submitted a paper to the Russian Medical Society called Conditioned Reflexes. As a human being... You are also literally a conditioned response machine. 
Just consider some of your conditioned responses today. If you've been driving, then a red traffic light is the trigger that creates the stop response. Or if your stomach rumbles, that's the trigger that you might want something to eat. Or if the alarm clock rings in the morning, that's the trigger that creates the response of either getting up or rolling over and pushing that snooze button. Now, these conditioned responses can occur or can be created in any of the five senses. For example, any time I smell freshly cut grass, I'm immediately transported back to fond memories of my father mowing the lawn. For you, it may be the smell of freshly brewed coffee or freshly baked bread that creates an instant response of pleasure. Perhaps someone walks by you wearing a particular perfume or cologne that reminds you of a long-lost friend. Or maybe a particular song recreates memories of a great party or a really good holiday. As well as triggering positive memories, you've also unknowingly created negative responses to specific triggers. Perhaps a person looks at you in a particular way and you feel nervous, as I mentioned before, or your partner leaves the top off the toothpaste again and you get angry. In fact, whenever you respond without thinking, you're under the influence of a conditioned response, which makes them a powerful force in your life because they build your habits. Research indicates that 40 to 45% of what you do every day is actually a habit. Now, you may feel like you're taking action and making decisions when actually the action and decisions you make stem from your habits. While they help you learn to become really good in certain areas, so for example, you don't have to think about stopping for a red traffic light because the red light is the trigger for stopping. They can also hold you in a pattern of less than useful responses and reactions. Perhaps you reach for the biscuit tin when you're stressed. I know many people reach for something sweet when they're anxious rather than maybe a healthy apple or ooh, a plate of kale. Could it be that many of us were given sweets and chocolate when we were upset as children, thus creating a habit of reaching for sugar when we're stressed? That then is another example of a conditioned response. Now, as it's a learned association, that means you can begin to create more useful conditioned responses and release the triggers that no longer serve you. In NLP, that's Neuro Linguistic Programming, one of the areas I've specialized in, there are a number of quick change techniques to literally null and void the trigger so you can respond and react in a more appropriate way. After all, if the trigger is a person, you can't change the person. And sometimes it's challenging to change a situation or event. What you can do is change your own response and bring yourself to a new level of awareness. Indeed, a narcissist doesn't know they're a narcissist because they don't have that level of self-awareness. You do, else you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. I'm just going to interrupt this podcast briefly to tell you about the 11-Day Mind Power Challenge. Mental power is creative power. It gives you the ability to create for yourself. 
And if you want to understand how to utilize your mind effectively for good, then allow me to invite you to a free 11-day Mind Power Challenge. Over 11 days, I'll be sharing with you simple, powerful, and effective tools and techniques to awaken and harness the potential and creative power of your mind. It's completely free, and you can gain access by visiting www.thepossibilityhub.com. It's worth remembering that the conscious mind is hardwired to analyze, criticize, and judge everything and anyone around you. I remember I was invited to speak at a women's peak performance event many years back, and since the organizer had said to me, wear whatever makes you feel comfortable, so I decided to push the limits and to push a few triggers too. I walked on stage in a dressing gown and slippers borrowed from the hotel. Now, when I did that, I could clearly feel the women in the audience thinking, hmm, well, she didn't make much of an effort. What on earth is she doing dressed like that? Or rather, not even dressed properly. Whatever properly really is. Anyway, it proved my point on the judging and criticizing. And what this also creates is cognitive dissonance. Here's another example. You know, from the moment you're sent to school, you're taught that the earth is a sphere, a round globe, and you probably even had a round globe in your geography class as a child. And this notion of the earth being a sphere, of being a globe, is perpetuated throughout your life. Now, I've recently watched a fascinating series called The Lost History of Flat Earth, as well as a documentary which covered seven years of research with scientific experiments carried out by Brazilian researchers partnered with professionals from various countries that have shown that the Earth is not spherical. Now, of course, the natural reaction is to call them crazy. How can that be? But what I'm pointing out here is If you hear something so different from your beliefs or what you've been taught and told, you deny and dismiss it and you see examples of that very much prevalent in the world at the moment. People burying their hands in the sand despite the large amount of evidence that goes contrary to what mainstream media is pushing out. Now, you need to know that the media is actually designed to create these triggered responses. And it can be traced all the way back to Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays. Bernays used his uncle's ideas to help convince the public, among other things, that bacon and eggs were the true all-American breakfast, and he also made smoking fashionable for women. Back in 1929... It was taboo for women to smoke in public, and those who flouted convention were thought to be sexually permissive. Bernays procured a list of debutantes from the editor of Vogue magazine and pitched the idea that they could contribute to the expansion of women's rights by lighting up cigarettes and smoking them in the most public of places, Fifth Avenue. The press was warned beforehand and they just couldn't resist the story. 
the Torches of Freedom Parade was covered not only by the local papers, but also by newspapers nationwide and internationally, thus making smoking for women more popular and accepted. So let's bring this back to you, those itises, those triggers. What can you do? Well, first, be a quality shopper. Start a new habit of looking for what's right in yourself, what's right in others, and what's right in the world. Because there's definitely a tendency to focus on what's wrong rather than what's right. For example, at work, you tend to get noticed when you've made a mistake or if you've left early rather than all the times you came in early or completed a project successfully. So think of it like going to the fruit and vegetable market. You look for the fruit and vegetables that are ripe, juicy, colourful, rather than the rotten ones, don't you? So take that cue in all areas of your life and start being a quality shopper, looking for what's right rather than what's wrong. So right now consider what's right and great about your friends. What's right and great about your family. And more importantly, what's great about you? And here's another powerful statement that I want you to complete and consider because it brings it right back to you. So as I say this sentence, I want you to come up with at least three positive ways to complete it. Ready? I believe in myself because... I believe in myself because. Now what's coming to your mind? Because you're lovable? Because you're deserving? Because you're intelligent? Because you're curious? Because you have a great sense of humour? Because you're determined? because you're smart, because you're kind, because your presence is a gift in the world. And the real gift is that when you feel an itis coming up or feel triggered by a person, an event or experience, you now know it's a beautiful opportunity to look within and develop your self-awareness. It opens the door to new possibilities. Now, at the start of this podcast, I talked about the book called The Disappearance of the Universe by Gary Renard. And here's how he suggests you heal those situations where you're triggered, or should I say, confronted by an opportunity to practice a new way of responding. Simply remind yourself that you authored this dream that you call life and you made the figures and characters in it act out for you so you could see yourself outside of yourself. And if you remember your dreaming, then there's nothing out there except your own projection. And once you believe that 
And remember, belief only comes from practice and experience. Then there's no need for what you're seeing to have any negative impact on you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. And I'm delighted to be sharing possibilities with you. If you want more, then check out the link on my website to the free 11-day Mind Power Challenge at thepossibilityhub.com. And if you feel that others can benefit from listening in, then please share, review, or like, or follow me on Instagram, Carol K. Talbot. And remember, you're always more than you think you are. Thank you.